Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, our visit to Montreal in Quebec, one of my favorite Canadian cities. I'll attempt to solve the argument, who really has the best bagels? Montreal or New York? With one of the legendary bakers in Canada, who does bagels the old-fashioned way. Then I'll sit down with Raphael Payard, the fascinating conductor of the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. And of course... Montreal is a circus town and the home to Cirque du Soleil. It all started here, and it still all starts here. I'll speak with Michael Smith, the show director of Cirque du Soleil, and then with Andrew Torriani, the general manager of the iconic Ritz-Carlton. This particular hotel is more than 100 years old, and if the walls could talk, well, they don't, but Andrew Torriani does. First up, Robert Morena, all about bagels. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Robert Moreno, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. So Thanks. you've been around, not you, but the, the bagel place has been around 1957, right? That's it. 60, At same location. 67 years, same location, same tradition. And what, wood-fired? Absolutely. Everything, is, all the dough is hand-rolled? Hand-rolled, boiled in honey water. Okay, I want to talk about that for yeah, a second. sure. Before we get to the honey part, 
talk to me because uh, everybody's always told me that the real you know pivotal point of a great bagel is the water is that true it goes without saying at this point definitely the water has something to do with it and we say it primarily because it's something that new york New Jersey, Los Angeles, no one can replicate our water. Well, let's stop right now. Los Angeles can't even come in a distant third. <laughs> the water in L.A. is terrible for bagels. Seriously, the worst. But, I mean, you guys are neck and neck with New York, that's for sure. Indeed we are. So now, how many bagels are you doing in terms of variety? We have about a dozen different varieties at the bagel shop. And they've evolved very slowly, like every... We've, we used to have about five or six until very recently, and now we put energy and effort into developing newer uh, All right, so the number one has got to be what, the sesame seed? Sesame seed is our regular dough, our plain dough. Right. It's, it's, it's the go-to. All right, now we have the, the bagel called the everything bagel, but you call it, what, fully dressed? All dressed. All dressed. Yeah. Okay. Then you've got the, the, the raisin. Cinnamon raisin. Right, your, your blueberry. Cinnamon. Blueberry. Uh, onion. Yes. How am I doing so far? You're doing great okay. so far. You're yeah, onion. Uh, <laughs> um, what else do you have? Um, Help you out. The poppy seed, the plain. Poppy seed, plain. Don't forget the caramel. We had this discussion. Oh, the caramel. Okay. Maple apple. All right. So now we, okay, we talked and, about. And the whole wheat. And the whole wheat. Okay. Wheat. But we talked about the water. But when you, when you actually make the dough and then you, you actually roll the dough, Right, when you finish rolling the dough and making each bagel by hand, rolling it right, and I was actually in your place yesterday, and I made some. You actually had me do the dough and roll it and cut it, and the first four or five were pretty pathetic, but yes, right. Listen, I'm gonna be honest. You considering you only made two dozen bagels yesterday, you, you did pretty well. Uh, well, I've, we ate I've them later. Yeah, yeah, you did pretty well. But when you finish rolling them, then you throw them in the water, the hot boiling water, right? And that water's also got honey in it. Where's the honey from? <laughs> the honey right now is from uh, Florida. <laughs> we we okay. bring it in from Florida. Yeah. Okay, well. In massive totes of about a ton each shipment. Really? Yes. And we don't use a lot in a, in a day, but in a year, it, it adds up. All right, so the Florida comes from honey. The when the honey comes from Florida, Florida yeah. then it's boiled and then it kind of rise to the surface. And then you got wood fire going on there and you stick them in the oven. Indeed. How long? It takes about 20 minutes to cook a bagel proper. All right. Now your store, for the sake of people who don't know it, is not a big location. It's tiny. Yeah, yeah. It's not a big place. And how many bagels are you doing a day? In around a thousand dozen. So 12,000 bagels a day, more or less. And they get consumed. Every last one. Wow. Every last one. We are always at full production, full manufacturing capacity since the 70s. Is there a bagel you no longer make? Um, yes. Then You know what? That's a great question. The flaxseed bagel. Ugh. Yeah, it well, was. Whose idea was that? I, my brother Vince's, but he, he loved it and still loves it, but it, it got cut from the roster. It is no longer... It got 86. Okay. Yeah, it's gone. But, you know, if you take a look at Montreal, you got a lot of big bakeries around here. They're still around like Fairmount and, right? And everybody comes up. I cannot leave Montreal. I'll be honest. I can't leave Montreal 
without a bagel. I'm I mean, glad to, I'm glad to hear that. I can't. Actually, to tell you the truth, I can't leave Montreal without bagels. We're talking to Robert Moreno, the co-owner of San Vietro Bagels. Uh, and now I have to tell you, and it's not just because you're sitting here. I'm born and raised in New York. I grew up on bagels, right? I, I moved to the West Coast at one point. I tolerated the bagels. But I have to tell you, you guys win. You guys absolutely have, not just you, Montreal has the best bagels. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you. But I'm not doing it to be kind. I will. I'm will. doing it as a bagel connoisseur. We have an ongoing debate. It's an ongoing debate with New York. It's a different product, but I'm glad you like ours more. I do. Thank and you. And it, works. We, it work, works. we work very hard at making the best bagel and representing Montreal in this area. My thanks to Robert. In New York, my favorite sandwich is a hot pastrami on rye with Russian dressing. At the legendary Schwartz's Deli in Montreal, they don't call it pastrami. They call it smoked meat. They may have the rye bread, but you won't find the Russian dressing. Just a lot of deli mustard. And it's delicious. And I sat down with a couple of those sandwiches in a noisy Schwartz's to discuss music with Raphael Payar, the conductor of the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. Raphael Payar, the music director for the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. How are you, sir? Very good. Thank you for the invitation. So, you have to tell me the story. You're from Venezuela. Correct, yeah. How did you get to Montreal? Oh, my God. You want the long story, the short story? Let's I'll take any story. Something in you. Right, that's right. Well, I, I come from Venezuela. I've been forming this special program that was founded by Dr. Jose Antonio Abreu. That's called El Sistema. That is pretty much the basis of this is that music should be a right. There, it should not be just a privilege so for everybody. So this is the, the main thing. So you get uh, uh, free music lessons. And the thing that is, let's say, a little bit unorthodox with this program is that you start playing the instrument, but you start playing an orchestra at the same time so I started my my studies there a little bit on the late side I was almost 14 I started playing the French horn let's fast forward a little bit I was part of the National Youth Orchestra of Venezuela we started touring we did a bunch of things and then I decided to start into conducting I won the Malco competition in 2012 in Copenhagen and a few years later well now I am the music director of Orchestra Sinfonie de Montreal are you still playing the horn I would like to say yes <laughs> and in my head I would say yes, but sometimes I play for my daughter because they love to hear Prokofiev, Peter and the Wolf, and the horn is the wolf. Um, but uh, in my head, I'm absolutely sure that I can do it. I don't know if that would be well, true. Well, for me, Prokofiev and Debussy. Fantastic. Right? Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's phenomenal, phenomenal music. Yeah. What's different about the orchestra here? Well, this orchestra has that amazing ability of being... Of course, the, the level of the, the playing of the orchestra is very, very high, but they have this amazing finesse beside the virtuosic part that is really, really fantastic. And at the same time, they could go with a very round and profound sound. But and then all of a sudden, you're just changing one second to the most sublime kind of softest dynamic and very, very transparent, which is very unique. You know, we th when we think of traditional symphonies, mm -hmm. right? There are very few and far between these days because yeah. everybody's experimenting. Right, everybody's that's for sure. new, new composers, um, new, new, new. In fact, new use of instruments sometimes. Yeah, that's so correct. So, what are you yeah. doing differently here in Montreal? Well, I think um, in here. It's, it's funny to talk about what the traditions are because even though there's something new, for instance, we are going through now a cycle of Mahler, which is not it is nothing new, but the orchestra has been 
well known with the amount of recording that you know, they did. When somebody did. says to me they're going through a cycle of Mahler, yeah. I think I'm getting depressed. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. It's fantastic. It's the most amazing music. Mahler used to say that in every symphony there should be a whole world in it. So it is just wonderful to see how everything goes from being completely full of life of like it happened just a couple of weeks ago. We played the seventh that is already the turning point when everything starts to go a little bit into the darker side and a little bit more philosophical. See, I, I know yeah. about the darker side with yeah, Mahler. Yeah. yeah, and it, it is funny. It would sound slightly masochistic to say, but it's wonderful to actually go through that darker side of it because it takes you to places that maybe you don't want to face. But it's just phenomenal to experience. Now, of course, we're in Montreal, in Quebec. You're Venezuelan. Yeah. Are you speaking French? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That was one of the things I, I learned French to come in. Yeah. <laughs> sí, por supuesto. Exacto. Yeah. But let's say that I have a little advantage because with uh, Spanish, there are a bunch of things that happen as well. The of French, course. the structure is there. But I, I learned French to actually being able to be here and understand the people, understand the rhythm, how everything goes. I still make a lot of mistakes, which I apologize. The orchestra could vouch for me on that. But, <laughs> but it's just wonderful to be able to understand and speak the language in here at the city. So your approach to the music and the choices and the repertoire is different. Yeah, yeah. Well, one can say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In what way? Yeah. Um, I like to have the different, let's say, that I'm not afraid to do things that they are not printed in the score, but some tradition, they just do it because of the sake of tradition. So it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. If we're going to do something, it needs to, there has to be a reason. I mean, there's just straight out reading music and then there's interpreting music. Absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes you have, of course, we have the wonderful old master recordings and things. And then you see, of course, they are human. They have their way of seeing something. But then when you see in the score, that has nothing to do with what they say. And some people might think that that is the truth when the truth has nothing to do with that. It's the truth for that person, you know? Well, I think one of the coolest things about your orchestra <clears throat> is you're doing about 100 concerts a year. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's correct. That's correct. And we do it, I mean, we have an absolute jewel in here in Montreal that is La Maison Symphonique, our hall. It's just fantastic. There's, uh, it's quite unique. When I, the first, I remember the first time I came here, it's like, whoa, this is completely different. This is an amazing hall. And with the orchestra, we do over a hundred concerts a year, but not only at the La Maison Symphonique, we also go and make a concert at the Olympic Stadium, so for 30,000 people during the summer, because of course in the winter we cannot do that for sure, and we go also for um, to different places, we use a different configuration of the orchestra to be around, because um, being part of the community is very, very important for the orchestra. For someone coming to Montreal for the first time and attending one of your concerts, what would be the biggest surprise for them? Um, probably, especially if you come during the winter, that you will go into the Place des Arts. There are many, many different things happening at the same time. And when you enter into the hall, you will get this kind of light that the winter light is completely different. Well, you know, we can see it now that even though it's bright, it has some kind of bluishness on it. And then you get into the hall and the hall, there is no artificial light and it's so full of life and then you get this amazing orchestra that it will take you to a completely different world so it is a wide opening experience I have to say what would be one of the most interesting and surprising pieces you play ooh do you have time go ahead yeah. <laughs> 
I have a, a particular, um, uh, let's say, it touched my heart music from Bruckner, Mahler, Debussy, Prokofiev, Chostakovich, absolutely, Beethoven, Brahms, um, Ravel as well, but also many composers that were also bringing from the Americas, trying to bring a little bit of also the South American part, like Carreño or Castellanos or even composers from the United States, like Adams or Bernstein, everything. So, yeah, I cannot really pick one. <laughs> so the bottom line is, it may be a French city in Canada, but it's an international repertoire of the symphony. Oh, absolutely. It's very cosmopolitan what we do here. It is a very top-tier, high-level thing. It is like a, like a capital of the world would be. Yeah. My thanks to Raphael. Montreal is indeed a circus town, perhaps a circus capital, and performers from all over the world come here to train, to audition, and hopefully land a job with a number of circuses. Perhaps the most famous, the Cirque du Soleil. And show director Michael Smith is in charge of it all. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Michael Smith, welcome. Thank you very much. Now, you just moved here not too long ago from Cirque du Soleil in Tokyo, right? Um, well, I was 10 years on the road yeah. uh, as an artistic director working in different shows because I, I love traveling. I think uh, travel opens up our horizons, it opens, you know, our whole cultural experience changes because of travel. Right, but now you're here in Montreal? I am, but still traveling. But you like, but you like Montreal now? I love Montreal. Um, it was what we were talking about earlier. It, it is such a unique place. And, you know, Cirque du Soleil could never have come from anywhere else but Montreal. Why? Because it's this unique um, mix of Europe and North America... The fact that, you know, we are a very much Anglo-Saxon organized company. We do business like an Anglo-Saxon company. But the creative part is the Latin part. It's messy. Um, <laughs> you know, everybody has an opinion and everybody should have an opinion. You know, it's this, it's this melting pot of cultures. And I think Cirque du Soleil is a representation of that. And, and as you go around the city, it's the same thing. But it all started here. It all started here. Yeah. And it continues here. It does. It, it, the, the, our headquarters is still based in Montreal. At any given time, could you give me any kind of a ballpark figure as to how many Cirque du Soleil, show, Cirque du Soleil shows are being performed right now around the world? Ballpark figure. 49. 
That wasn't a ballpark figure. That was a specific <laughs> figure. <laughs> I checked my documents. But that's not because we, we're, we're an umbrella company now. It's not just the shows in the Big Tops and the shows in Vegas. We also have Blue Man Group. We have V-Star. We have uh, events and experiences. <laughs> I obviously work in the Big Top shows. Right. Um, but yeah, it, 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 is, it is expanded to include much more than it did when it first started. Wow. And then, of course, you're always reinventing. But this is the pressure that we have. You know, we, we're an in innovative company. So every time we create a new show, we have to look at what has not been done. And how long, on average, does it take you to create just one new show? Oh, it's, it's a couple of years in production. Really? Before it, before it opens, yeah. Before you take it out. Yeah. Absolutely. Like a year in pre-production, then when the cast arrive, a good six months of trying things, you know, ideas that you thought were going to be really good on the stage <laughs> don't end up being. And think mistakes that happen create new ideas and new avenues to explore. So, What I always found fascinating about your shows is the sense of humor. Absolutely. But right? like, if we can't laugh at life... Um, then we have a problem. And I think, you know, it, when people laugh in live entertainment, it creates, whether it's true or not, it creates the feeling they have enjoyed themselves. And laughter is just, it's, it's, it's an inspiration to everything that we do. I mean, for me, Cirque du Soleil is part improv, part ballet, part opera, uh, part acrobatics, of course, mm -hmm. part unbelievable skill, um, and all at the same time. And storytelling, of course. But, yeah, it's all those. I, I would say uh, improv is not part of it. But it, it is but, but very it's, rehearsed. But it, we know that, but it comes across that way. Which is uh, absolutely, because, yeah. again, it's about being spontaneous. And, and then it, the feeling of being spontaneous opens up people's souls and their imagination, their emotions to receive. And, you know, we, what, where we're different to musical theatre is that we don't have... A story as such, the story evolves and changes depending on the, the players that we've got. What the common denominator is that we create entertainment that allows an audience to explore their own imagination. I like to believe that in 2,000 people who've watched the show, 2,000 people have seen their own show. Whatever is happening in their lives, whatever they're feeling at that time, they will see different things. You can go and see a certain slave show that you've seen before five or six times, you will see new things. Exactly. That's, that's what we do. But this is the hub, Montreal. Yes. And yesterday, I went out to the circus school. Oh, okay. <coughs> Excuse my cough. I went out to the circus school, and I just took a look at every one of the students there that were working, trying to, to get to the next level, right? Mm -hmm. So they might be cast in one of your shows. Absolutely. And I took a look at what they were doing and their skill set and realized that had I tried to do that, I would be in orthopedic surgery right now. <laughs> But that gave me a whole newfound respect for the work that goes into any one particular skill set. You know, uh, the end result is, is very glamorous and it's entertaining. The payoff is that what we do, the, the result of our work at the end of the day is, is uh, thousands of people standing up applauding and being inspired. But to get to that, it's, it's a lot of hard work and discipline. There, there is no um, shortcut. There is no easy way to do it. Training is every single day. People give up an awful lot of and sacrifice in their lives in order to do what they do. 
But and it's a beautiful thing to do. When I went out to that school, I said, okay, how many people apply? <laughs> how many people get accepted? And then of those who get accepted, how many actually make the, make the, make the, make the cut? Well, yeah, it's, it's a tough industry. It's a tough industry. And we're at the top end of the industry, so yeah. What's your biggest challenge? Uh, <laughs> good question. Um, I think um, I, it, it is, I, I'm in such a circle of inspiration because I'm in, so inspired by the people I, I have the opportunity to work with. But I also realize that I have to inspire them. So the biggest challenge is making sure that I don't ever forget that and it becomes, uh, there's, there's moments of self-indulgence. It, it shouldn't be. It's, it's everything that I do is for the craft and for the work and for other people and at the end of it, inspiring audiences. So it's just remembering how lucky we are uh, to do what we do. In all of your experience at Cirque du Soleil, was there ever, I'm sure there was, I, I asked this, by the way, of chefs, you know, what was the one thing you put on your menu that you thought was going to be great and nobody ordered it? Or conversely, what was the one thing you figured, do I really have to put this on the, sh on the menu and everybody ordered it? From a show perspective, what's the one performance that you put on that you thought this is going to be the showstopper and you had to get rid of it? Oh my gosh, so many. Uh, so many. I mean, that, that's the role of a director. You have to be brutal with yourself. Um, you can't hold on to something that is not working for an audience. You're subservient to the experience that the, the, the audience has. And sometimes you think, you know, I know this can work. I really believe in it. But you have to go, okay, Michael, it doesn't. You have to walk away and you have to start again. Um, that's, that's, that's the creative process. And sometimes it's really tough. Because you're coming up with tough. a combination of acrobatics. Mm-hmm excuse the expression, gravity, mm -hmm. right? Storytelling, and the space in which you have to work. Yes. And that really governs what you really can and can't do. It does, and, and acrobatically, every acrobatic image is driven by a character, is driven by a story, is driven by an emotional engagement with the artist to what they want to say at that moment. It's not just the, the triples they do in the air. But getting an acrobat to understand that is also the challenge. We, we have a lot of people... To come, make them understand that they're also telling a story. Well, yes, because we, we don't recruit... Ten, our recruitment is not in um, circuses. It's, it's from elite sports. So to be in the Olympic Games representing a country at World Championships, you have to have such a sense of self-discipline and control. And everything that you think has to be internalized. So... They come to us with this incredible discipline, incredible technique. We have to turn their emotions inside out to get them to understand, yes, you executed an amazing triple, but it's when you land and you touch the audience, what is that? That's the important what part What are of you the saying? Audience. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, that is a, a long process and it's a continual process. My thanks to Michael. The oldest Ritz-Carlton in the world is in Montreal, and it offers non-stop history. What do the Rolling Stones, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, and Winston Churchill have in common? They've all stayed there, partied there, drunk there, even married there. The resident historian and storyteller, 
Andrew Torriani is general manager. He's the general manager, Andrew Torriani. How are you, sir? Hey, how are you, Peter? What is it about old hotels that if they are well taken care of, if they are well preserved, if they tell their stories, it makes them almost timeless? Absolutely. I think what it is is that people want to feel special when they go somewhere. They want to feel different. And I think that, you know, a, a building like this with all its history, with its ghosts, with the, the many, many things that you find in this hotel, you, you, you come away as though you've been to that little part of the, of the world that you've never been to before. And, and I think that's what keeps people coming back. And is there any one particular thing? I think it's the fact that, uh, you know, when, you, when you've got a building that has uh, over 100 years of time in it, You've had uh, a variety of uh, really, you know, through the generations, you've had so many important people come through that you can relate to when you when you stay here. You think, ah, you know, this person stayed or that person, um, and I and I think it doesn't matter how old you are, you you find a niche that you can. Oh, they stayed here. You know, John Travolta stayed here or whatever. It's uh, well, sixty years ago, sixty years ago this month, or this year. Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton got Which married at this they hotel. They got married here, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. they couldn't get married in Toronto. They were doing a movie. And Quebec didn't give, force them to gazette their wedding. They flew into Montreal, brought their champagne, and basically got married in the Royal Suite here. The Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones were here. Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. We forgive him. Uh, Winston Churchill. Yeah. Go, Paul go, Newman. Exactly. I mean, everybody. Uh, yeah, very, very many. You too. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, check the mini bar. Yeah. Uh, but, but the bottom line is, when you think about the history of hospitality, right, it's more than just the building itself. Absolutely. It's, it's how you have to maintain the service standards. It's the, it's the people. At the end of the day, one of the things that I think that Caesar Ritz set up was this idea of treating people very well. Well, let's talk about the name Ritz, because there was the Ritz in Madrid. Yes. There's the Ritz here. Way before it became Rich Carlton, which is part of now Marriott, but I'm saying this preceded uh, Marriott for 50, absolutely. 60 years. So it was built in 1912. Well, it was started in 1908. They started building it, but 1912 is when it opened, December 31, 1912. It was uh, the first Ritz Carlton, and it uh, basically, you know, had Caesar Ritz design it. The Warren and Wet, uh, you know, he was he was the one who, de- who dealt who put the people side together. And Warren and Wetmore, as you mentioned earlier, who built Central Station, yeah. were the ones that designed the exterior of the building. And that gave it this particular flair. It was the nicest building in the area. We're, this, we're in what's called the Golden Square Mile. It's where 85% of the wealth of Canada was at that time period. Uh, you know, if you look at the mountain behind us, for instance, it's the same guy who built uh, That's Central Mount Park. That's Olmsted. Mount Royal. Exactly, Mount Royal. Yeah. So the park was designed by Olmsted as well. And so we had this uncanny... The same guy who did Central Park. Central Park. And so... The, what's interesting? You know what the other one he did? I I do, yeah, but I guess I, you do. The Vanderbilt Mansion, in exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, but what's interesting about it? We had this uncanny uh, connection as well with New York, and so it brought a sophistication to Montreal. We already had the French culture, but we had that sophistication that came from to New York. To, uh, to and of Montreal. course, in those days, they came up by train. They came up by train, exactly. Amazing. So there was a luxury train trip up to Montreal, down to Central Station, just around the corner, and up uh, into this hotel. And of course, when we talk about trains in Canada, I mean, the trains built Canada, right? The, the original Canadian Railroad. 
Absolutely. That went the trans. It was Trans Canada. It went all the way from Ottawa to Vancouver. And if you look at Canada today, when you look how big it is, it's the second largest country in the world. And when you look at it, we're a, we're within 100 miles. 90 percent of the population is 100 miles from the border, because we all follow the rail from the east of Canada right across to Vancouver. And of course, in those days, you had the railroad hotels. Yes. Right. And uh, that was the old, you know, Canadian Pacific Railroad. Exactly. Amazing. I, listen, I go back to the days of Canadian Pacific Airlines, but that's another story. We're speaking with Andrew Torriani, the general manager of the iconic Ritz-Carlton here, the oldest Ritz-Carlton, I think, in the, in the business, right? Absolutely. It's amazing. I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me here. It wasn't the last time I was here, actually. It was about 25 years ago. I stayed here at the hotel, and walking distance from this hotel was the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts. And I had about two hours before my flight, and everybody said, you really ought to check out the museum. And I had this idea, which, by the way, I still sort of have today that I can do one museum per city every time I do a trip. Otherwise, my eyes glaze over and I'm never... Well, I walked down the street. It's about a five-minute walk. I walked in not knowing anything that was going on there. There was an exhibit in there, Andrew, that was so amazing that I changed my travel schedule and I stayed for the next three days and went every day for three days to that museum. And here's what it was. They were ahead of everybody. They had found the original drawing books of Leonardo da Vinci. And that in itself was pretty amazing, but they didn't stop there. Whatever they saw that he draw in those, that he drew in those books, they built it, yeah. and that's what the exhibit was. Absolutely. And when they built it, that's when you realized, wait a minute, Leonardo. Let's forget about the Mona Lisa here. This guy designed and invented the helicopter, but didn't know it. He designed and invented building structural supports for domes that are still being used today, but didn't know it. I mean, everybody talks about who you like to have dinner with. Just one person in history. Everybody says, oh, Albert Einstein. No, it's Leonardo da Vinci. I, I agree. <laughs> this guy was be, uh, so far beyond the, the Mona Lisa. And it happened right here in Montreal. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, that we're, we're extremely blessed with that museum. That museum is actually seven museums now uh, put together. And they somehow they always find something fascinating to go to there. And you know, it, it like I'm not an art person, but I'm not a. But I'm always amazed when I go in there and I look at something and I see it, and I it just really sort of makes me think about art, actually. And I I I am the world's worst artist and, and <laughs> could not name any piece, you know. But honestly, I I go over there and find it as uh, as an absolutely fascinating place. Well, I, I think they've had a history, to yeah. tell you the truth, of really good curators. Which what which is what makes great museums, and I and I and um, I think that's what makes it uh, become such a special place. Well, it was and it's so about two minutes away listen, from us. Eh? It was so special to me. You got three more nights out of me here at the hotel. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you for another three nights. I know you will. No, it, it's that amazing. But when people come to Montreal for the first time, what's the biggest surprise to them about this city? I think it depends on where you come from. I, I, I do think, you know, we, we often, in our sales piece here, we, we use this tag of, it's Europe without the jet lag. And I think that that's what the surprise is. It, you get a really European feel. And I think the great part is, our American cousins bring this friendly approach. And I think Montreal's adapted both. And I think that that's what makes the difference here. The, the, you know, when I think about it. You know, somebody said to me, should I go to Paris this summer? I'm going... Are you nuts? It's the Olympics. It'll be a madhouse. Do you want to go to Paris? Go to Montreal. I mean, it's got the French flair. 
It's got the French influence. It's got the French language. It's got the French food. Yes, absolutely. Right? French clothes. Yeah. You know, the whole, the whole thing. Uh, it's, got a, it's a city with a lot of character. And, you know, it's still a very, it, it's one of those cities you can come to, feel safe. You go to the corner. You're lost. You open your map. You, those people that still use maps. Someone will actually ask you, you know, can they help you? And I, and I think that that is, that is something that we're, we're really blessed with still in this city. It's, because there's not a lot left that, that will engage with you on the, on the street. And that's changed because when I was first here, that was not my experience. But it's changed now. Yes. And I th- as I say to you, I think that's where the U.S. has brought something and the rest of Canada brought something particular to, Can- to Quebec that, that uh, has evolved over time, especially the city of Montreal. And of course, if you look at the map, Montreal becomes a great hub for you to do day trips outside of the city and see so much more. Absolutely. And you know, we started, we set up with, a, with a, an entrepreneur where we're doing, we're doing longer distance day trips for our, for our guests. He's got a, a, a seaplane. He, he'll fly you to Niagara. You do a day trip to Niagara and back. Come on. Absolutely. Quebec City, we, 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 we've organized this for, pe- for people now. And, and you know, of course the Laurentians. Absolutely, Laurentians anytime. When do they do the mapling off? Uh, well, generally it starts in be- beginning, end of February, beginning of March. Coming it's, up. Depends on how the, how the weather turns. You know, when the, if you haven't done it, you need to do it. Have patience, get up there. Exactly. It's, it's maple, it's, it's Canada's oil. Exactly. By the way, they used to have maple syrup robberies and maple syrup kidnappings. I mean, it was it was their gold. Absolutely, it still is. It's it's still a huge part of our of our economy. But the Laurentians in February yeah. is when they literally take the sap and Off they start the trees. To, and, and it comes right to the trees. And they have these great little places there that you can sit down and eat uh, on in the maple. You know where they actually sat, take the sap. They'll make you a traditional French Canadian meal. That goes back centuries, and at the same time, you walk away with your maple syrup. Just dress warmly, because it's February. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Once you become Canadian a little bit, <laughs> you, you tend to be not need the coat quite as much. My thanks to Andrew, to Robert Morena, to Raphael Payar, and to Michael Smith. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. 
I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.